Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the OIS Podcast this week. This is Tom Salemi, and I'm here with Amar Sani, President, CEO, and Chairman of Ocular Therapeutics. Omar, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Great. You've had, you've had a great year. You've got an FDA approval. You've got an IPO. I don't know uh, what the third uh, element of your successful year might be, but those two are going to be hard to top. Um, but let's go sort of the beginning. Um, let's start with the origins of, of Ocular Therapeutics. It is an Incept company. Incept's a great entity that's, that's developed a lot of successful device companies. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how about Incept, so everyone knows more about it if they already don't know, and sort of how Ocular grew out of uh, grew out of that uh, entity? Uh, sure. So Incept was uh, formed by myself and my partner Fred Kushravi, who's out on the West Coast, back in 1998, and it was born out of uh, a few uh, reasons. One was that we wanted to have. Uh, a platform technology that was truly broad and continuing to execute upon it rather than put it within one operating company and then lose control of it uh, as uh, the company gets acquired or goes uh, in some direction. So for that reason, we wanted uh, to have a holding company that held the intellectual property so we could continue to license and create operating companies. The second was a reason for us to kind of risk diversify between each other's uh, uh, ventures. Uh, he was creating some companies, I was creating some companies, and it allowed us to participate in each other's uh, upside. Uh, so those were sort of the two major uh, driving factors for creating uh, Incept. And when I had access to this very fundamental hydrogen technology that I created, uh, I placed it within Incept uh, with the hope that we would uh, continue to create several companies, the first of which was a company called Confluent Surgical, mm -hmm. which uh, I ran, and uh, uh, Fred was the chairman, and we uh, created a sealant for uh, uh, brain surgery and spine surgery, and that company was acquired by Covidian. So as we were out there uh, creating companies from uh, Incept, uh, some uh, folks uh, who are ophthalmologists came to us hearing about the sealant for brain surgery and wanted us to create a sealant for ophthalmic surgery. And uh, a few of these clinicians kind of kept coming to us and uh, eventually we were intrigued and decided to look into it. And after Confluent was acquired, that became the basis for starting up uh, Ocular Therapeutics. And as we got going with Ocular Therapeutics, we reached out to some of our venture capitalist friends and uh, they mentioned uh, that drug delivery was something that was very well suited based on our technology and the needs of ophthalmology. And so drug delivery entered into the fray and uh, Ocular took the direction that it is taking now. Hmm. How different uh, is ophthalmology to the other markets uh, where you've created company? And, and was it so different that you maybe hesitated to enter into it? Or was it just so successful that it was something you were, you were eager to jump into if you could? Initially, I did hesitate. I think uh, the reason ophthalmology was a little different was because the price points compared to, say, brain surgery were lower. You know, a cataract procedure is done for uh, anywhere from 700 to $2,000, while you can't find a brain surgery uh, that uh, would cost that low. So they were all 20 dollars procedures. So selling a product into a procedure that costs $20,000 is very different than selling into one that costs $2,000. Mm -hmm. So that gave me a little bit of pause uh, initially. And uh, But uh, 
The other thing that made ophthalmology very different was that ophthalmology is one of the few places where the patient has an incredible uh, amount of feedback hmm. as to how well things are going. Uh, their visual acuity, they will immediately tell you they can see better or not see better. Uh, the eye is so sensitive that uh, if anything irritates them uh, or they're not feeling well, they will immediately let you know. While that is not true for most other types of uh, procedures or most other parts of the body as acutely as it is in ophthalmology. So consequently, what, what I realized is that ophthalmologists themselves have to be very customer-focused. So they are, as a result, much more innovative, uh, greater risk-takers, uh, they try things, and uh, it becomes a very dynamic field where there's a lot more innovation. This attracted me to ophthalmology, and I felt that uh, this would be a good field to be in because of the dynamism and the innovation that uh, if we could bring that to ophthalmology, it would be a good place to continue to develop products. That's a great point. I mean, with, with that level of feedback coming from the patients, and I think success and failure is, is uh, so evident, at least how, how they f feel about the product being put in. Is it almost easier because success can be measured in, in such black and white ways? Uh, uh, as opposed to other device areas where maybe you won't really know how successful a device is until later on down the road or until cost savings are factored in and other more ambiguous measures? Yeah, I think in, it does end up separating out uh, successful technologies from not very successful technologies. So I think you know it separates out uh, meaningful clinical advances from so-so type of clinical advances. In that regard, I think the patient can be a good arbiter because ultimately they are the customer of uh, any therapy that we uh, produce. Uh, certainly, there are tools that are assist uh, that assist the physician uh, in how they perform their procedures or how they manage their patients, and uh, those are all sort of things that play into uh, what types of products we're developing at Ocular Therapeutics. Uh, for example. Uh, compliance with drug therapies uh, here needs a partnership between the patient and the physician because placing an eye drop is different than uh, ingesting a pill or getting an injection. An injection is administered by the physician. A pill pretty much goes down the hatch, meaning when you swallow it, it goes down, uh, while an eye drop may or may not get into the eye uh, uh, or a patient may or may not remember to take the eye drop. So, Consequently, therapy has to be a partnership between the physician and the patient. And what we found was that many patients were not living up to that. And uh, that, on one hand, is a problem. On the other hand, is an opportunity. Hmm. Well, how did that, uh, that sort of ability to measure success and failure, how did that factor into the, the regulatory experience you had with, with Reshore and that you're having with your, your, your plug products? Uh, is, is the FDA almost easier to deal with because the, the again, success and failure is more easily gauged? Uh, yes and no. I think, uh, firstly, there is, uh, uh, we deal with two different aspects of the FDA, the drug side and the device side. So the Reshore is a device while the plug products are all drugs. So we're dealing with uh, two very different uh, uh, arms of the FDA. Uh, on the device side, uh, initially it was a little bit of a challenge because we had a 510K that FDA had indicated would be an okay regulatory path to follow, and then we had uh, a decision by them that uh, the PMA path was more appropriate after we had finished already conducting a 400-plus patient trial. So Ouch. that was a little bit of a low point <laughs> and uh, set us back a little bit. 
but then we took a collaborative approach instead of a combative approach with the agency and uh, uh, we designed the trial that would be acceptable to them conducted another 450 patient study uh, presented those results and the FDA and we worked collaboratively to uh, get the approval and the labeling that uh, makes uh, the ratio label currently so in that regard it has uh, been a good experience lately uh, on the drug side uh, we're obviously dealing with dr. chambers group uh, at the FDA and uh, they have been extremely transparent extremely logical and excited about uh, the kinds of things that we're doing uh, so in that regard uh, we have a very good partnership and uh, we're able to uh, present uh, our clinical study designs and those have by and large been quite agreeable uh, to the agency so we've been able to make rapid progress uh, on that uh, on that front for example uh, this year we have uh, initiated and finished both of our phase 3 clinical trials for the post surgical pain and inflammation uh, uh, drug that we're developing so, uh, y uh, yes, I think it has been uh, something that uh, has been a good partnership uh, that has evolved and driven by meaningful advances because I think the agency also recognizes where the needs are. And if people are willing to develop meaningful advances, they want to work with them. And going forward with the, the uh, four other clinical stage products you have going, are you working uh, with both sides of the FDA again or mainly with the, with the device side? or? Uh, the device side, just for the post-market studies, probably, mm -hmm. uh, that, that that is done. Most of our focus right now is on the drug side. So we are essentially a biopharma company at this point. Mm -hmm. I think this is the first INCEP company that, that went public. Is that is that right? Uh, that is correct. I mean, you, you had several great uh, acquisitions. You meant Confluent earlier and Cardinal Health, of course, bought Access Closure a bit ago. and. Uh, what was and Fadra Medical, and um, uh, we had Maya Medical, mm -hmm. and uh, we had uh, Hotspur, which we sold to Teleflex, and uh, several others uh, along the way. But you are correct; most of them have been uh, acquired. And uh, my first company that I had formed, which was before Incept, a company called Focal, where we created a sealant for lung surgery, uh, did go public. Uh, so uh, I did have some experience there, but not I was not running that company, so mm -hmm. it wasn't. Uh, um, yeah, from that standpoint, but uh, this is in in that regard the first company that we have decided to take public uh, for uh, for Incept. And what was that the, the decision process like that that led to the IPO? Was this was this clearly uh, a, a strategy for the company, or uh, or did the situations in the public market just sort of create an opening that you felt obligated to to pursue? Uh, so it's a little bit of both, although I think uh, strategy-wise it made a lot more sense to take this company public because the opportunity that we had in front of us was quite vast. And the reason the opportunity is so vast is because we are taking proven molecules that are already known to have efficacy in ophthalmology and are turning them into one-and-done or once-in-several-months type of therapies, which means that uh, you can, across the board, in ophthalmology go after most of the disease states and create new drug formulations. So this is a pretty vast opportunity, it's a pretty large and auspicious goal uh, that we have set for ourselves and funding that through private capital raises was probably not going to be the most efficient path forward. So we felt that this is an opportunity to create a, a pretty fundamentally new ophthalmology company and to do that the public markets would probably be the better path. Now. 
we can say that, but if the markets wouldn't cooperate or the broader dynamic was not there, then it would be hard to pull that off. So we were blessed by the fact that the biotech market has been robust for IPOs, and the stars lined up. Uh, when the stars lined up, we had the technology, we had the products, and the markets was cooperating. Uh, it made sense to go ahead and take the company public. What, what surprised you uh, about the IPO process, and, and what, have you pre- what are you preparing yourself for uh, going forward? So uh, what uh, surprised me in this process was that uh, people uh, wanted to hear um, kind of stories where there was a binary outcome, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which from a risk standpoint doesn't make any sense uh, because we were presenting a pretty broad-based story that had many legs to stand on so that any one of them getting knocked out from under you doesn't disable you. Uh, but investors, uh, many of them still believe that, you know, just binary outcome type of big molecule kind of stories. So, however, we did find folks who uh, believed in our story and uh, obviously our long-term uh, patient investors in the company and the stock has continued to perform reasonably well. So in that regard, it was a little bit, I, I expected that everybody would uh, appreciate and understand that. But I think uh, people sometimes just want to shoot take moonshots. And uh, I think um, that was a little bit uh, surprising for me. Um, What I'm bracing myself for in the future is that, you know, I'm a a guy that likes to speak his mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that regard, that's not necessarily the best thing uh, for a public company. You have to make sure that you're considered and thoughtful and uh, not uh, preemptive in any of the things you say. So, that's something that I'm learning and uh, hope to, you know, continue to improve on. So that's, uh, uh, you know, I just have to uh, make sure I'm a little bit more considered and thoughtful. Uh, and that's the difference of being a public company versus a private company. Uh, I'm sure that won't be hard. Uh, how is it going into uh, OIS and AO this year? How is it different than, than in the past now that you're a public company? Well, the not a huge difference. I think there is some difference in that the company is further along and a little bit more mature. So mm-hmm. we're not trying to convince people of the fact that uh, will the technology work, but more of where we are in the process of developing these products. Um, and we've kind of made it a point to every time lay out what are the things that we expect to accomplish in the next year. Uh, we did that as a private company, and uh, we. Uh, continue to kind of do that as a public company in terms of giving milestone-based guidance as to what we're going to be accomplishing. And we we say what we're going to do, and we do what we have said we were going to do. And I think that hasn't really changed. So it'll just be a little bit more mature, uh, less uh, speculative, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's the only thing that I see different, but not 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 a tremendous amount. How has the commercial launch of uh, of Reshore gone? So that's uh, is still in process. You know, we are not a commercial powerhouse by any stretch of imagination. Uh, we're a company that's mainly focused on development. Uh, so our approach over here is to be able to lay the groundwork for market development because this is not a market replacement effort. Uh, there has never been a sealant uh, approved for uh, ophthalmology, and so this is the first product of its kind. And people need to understand the merits uh, of the product and get a chance to use it. Uh, we have to set up accounts and build a presence. 
So it's and we don't have a direct sales organization. We're going through a distributor network. So it takes a little while to kind of lay that groundwork. Our hope is that we will continue to kind of you know generate the literature that's needed to support the broad utility. And then when we have our anti-inflammatory punctum plug approved, uh, hopefully sometime in mid-16, uh, which goes into the same customer segment of cataract surgeons, that's when we would put a direct organization, sales organization in place, and to be really able to uh, uh, do the commercial justice that Reshore also needs, because it would go into the same channel. But in the meanwhile, we will continue to generate reasonable amount of revenue and good experience and good literature uh, presence and podium presence uh, uh, for uh, the product. And how does this story uh, continue after after 2016, after you get your, your plug approvals? Do you, do you see this the the core of your, pi- the, your pipeline now sort of being the core of your commercial products going forward in, in maybe four or five years, or do you see an opportunity to grow this company through Acquisition and, and, and becoming even more of a, 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 a becoming a larger ophthalmology uh, force. So until we run out of ideas, <laughs> uh, I'm a little reluctant to kind of uh, go out and acquire things. Mm-hmm. Um, we have many ideas, and there are many companies that come to us with their technologies and their drugs, uh, wanting us to deliver them for front of the eye, back of the eye, ocular surface, etc. So. Uh, we're not running out of ideas anytime soon. In fact, our challenge is uh, how to kind of triage all of these and figure out which of those have the uh, you know best net present value from a project standpoint. So I think we have our work cut out for us for the uh, puncture plug based uh, programs that are going to go from the anti-inflammatory segments to the glaucoma, anti-infectives, etc., and continue to kind of create products that meet most of these uh, diseases. Then we are collaborating uh, with uh, companies that have uh, anti-VEGF drugs uh, for the back of the eye uh, for diseases like macular degeneration, diabetic macular edema, et cetera. So those collaborations, uh, if they come to fruition and we are able to uh, work on those, address extremely large opportunities and markets where uh, there is really not that much of competition because it's a very, very tough problem. Uh, to uh, solve, and if we are able to make a difference over there, uh, you know, we'll have our hands full for a while to come. And in the process, as we are going along it, we get a lot of companies that uh, could benefit from our technology coming to us. So I think business development will become something that we need to pay a little bit more attention to uh, than we have in the past. Uh, so it won't really be acquisitions, but maybe kind of some strategic alignments or cooperations that uh, that we uh, continue to do. Terrific. All right. Will we see any last question? Will we see any more uh, Incept ophthalmology companies in the future? Is this a? It's obviously been a well. This is our ophthalmology play. Yeah. You know, we we try not to create competing kind of companies and play in the same space with multiple things. So. Gotcha. Uh, that's the good or bad. Meaning, I have to start all over again every time I go from company <laughs> to company in a new area. But uh, our attempt, uh, our hope is that we, you know, this is our ophthalmology play, and we do as good a service to ophthalmology as we can with this technology. Um, uh, uh, with all that's there at our disposal, and then someday in the f- distant future, uh, one would you know focus on some th- some other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're always looking for bright uh, entrepreneurs who could come in and take these technologies into other parts of medicine. Terrific, Mar. Thanks for taking the time today. We really I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Tom. Really appreciate it. Bye bye. Bye bye.
I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Amar Sani of Ocula Therapeutics. Tune in next week for our chat with OIS stalwart Dr. Jack Holliday, who's heading up an AAO task force to examine IOL guidelines. We'll have a PowerPoint presentation that Jack put together up on OIS.net. Jack will also walk us through the changes and what they mean for the ophthalmology industry. Please listen in. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application.